0: Presents monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. Love them a lot. I got this huge collection, and then I broke into the Long Box Crusade headquarters and took over their collection, so I got a choice of movies, which is awesome. I still get surprised when I talk to some of my friends and find out that they haven't seen a movie that I call a classic. And to rectify this, I sit down with them talk to them about the movie, and make them watch the movie. So, let's meet today's contestant, or should I say, victim. And he is all the way over from Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, the most annoying name of a podcast to say over and over and over, Al Sedano. How you doing, Al? Is that why you bound and gagged me and dragged me over here? Hey, I get you over here any way I possibly can, man. What can I say? Well, other than rope burns, I'm good. (laughs) You're used to dealing with Thanos. You're used to dealing with the worst possible elements. And yet, here I am anyway. You betcha. <laughs> we have had the enjoyment of doing a lot of different podcasts together over the years, and it's been enjoyable. I think we've had a very nice friendship for never having actually met each other in person.
1: No, it's true. <laughs> Which is weird, but it's what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
1: like, oh, I know this person. I'm friends with them. Have you ever met them? Met them? Why would why we meet? <laughs> What is your background with movies? You like them? You hate them? You deal with them? I love movies. I was almost born, well, this is showing me age. I was almost born when my mother was seeing Jaws in the theater. (laughs) And my earliest memory, which I don't really have anymore, I just now have the memory of having that memory, was when I was two, and they took me in the drive-in to see Star Wars during the first release. Nice. And I mean, original 1977, quote unquote, A New Hope Star Wars. I don't remember much of it. I was two, but I it had enough of an impression on me that I had as many of the toys as we could get. I had a subscription to the fan club Bantha Tracks. <laughs> so yeah, I've been a big movie person since then. I, I remember when we first had HBO, especially in the summer. I was watching that like every day watching movies.
0: Yeah. Any chance you had to get any kind of movie channel? I, I know that my my family, we did not get cable for a very, very long time. And so, I became a master of the videotape and VHS and and copying it off of network TV and pausing out the commercials, you know, just pausing the tape so you pause out those commercials. I was too lazy to do that. (laughs) I wanted the clean tape of a VHS tape off of network TV. (laughs) For the longest time,
1: we had, I guess you could say pirated HBO, but not really. We moved into our house when I was like 11, this one house we lived in for like several years, and... Apparently, they officially turned the cable off from the people before us, but never actually did that. So there was a cord in the living room, and I plugged into the TV. I was like, oh, what's this do? And we had HBO. <laughs> For until like five years later when our neighbors moved in, and they got cable, and they, I guess the cable people went, oh, this is wrong. So we didn't try to take it. It just was there. So, I was taping stuff off HBO constantly. In fact, I remember our first VCR, my grandfather got it for us, and he, this is like mid 80s. Mm-hmm. So, he got us a tape that had three movies on it. I don't know how, you know, he must have known somebody because back in like 86, I think this was 85, 86, that was not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we wore that tape out because we watched those three movies so much. What were the movies? Gremlins. Uh huh. This is the order they were in. Ghostbusters. Uh huh. And. I don't let people want to cry at this, but this was my least favorite out of them, and I watched this the least, Never Ending Story. I mean, I've watched it dozens of times, but I mean, those other two I watched way more than that. Yeah,
0: I, I think of the three, that would be the one that's lower end. I think Never Ending Story has more nostalgia than actual good. <laughs> it's been a while since I've watched it, but I think, oh, the, I think the best thing from that story, or from that movie, from my memory, is the title song. I think that that's where my yes. love of that movie actually ends. But we aren't going to talk about any of those three movies because you've seen those. You've seen those multiple times. Are you ready for me to give you a movie that you have never seen? Sure. Yes, ex-
1: Yes. let's do it. There you go. There's the excitement. There's that fake excitement you were asking for. <laughs>
0: All right. I need you to sit down and and, and hopefully not find this on a old threadbare VHS tape, but I hope you can actually find it online or through a better form of media. I want you to sit down and watch the classic. It's time to whip out 1941 Citizen Kane. All right. It is time to do this. I know a lot of people have sent this in on their list to me and I just have said, no, not yet. There's other films I want to watch with them, but I've decided for you that we should watch this. And I should also say that probably by the time this comes out, on the Fire & Water Network, the Citizen Kane movie minute will be going on which I'm going to be a part of on one of those minutes So that's another reason why I went and got the blu-ray copy of this and upgraded from my old VHS copy So ooh, fancy we are talking citizen Kane of course written directed produced This is the auteur film of Orson Welles. What do you know about this film? Wait, wait, wait the guy that played Unicron made a movie <laughs> Yes, yes he did. <laughs> <gasps> Shocking. Is it about eating planets? No, not well, um, hmm. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this one is. <laughs> so what, seriously though, what do you know about this movie? What do you know about Citizen Kane?
1: Well, I mean, I know the basics of it. I know it's a classic. I know, you know, Rosebud, what Rosebud is. But I'm sure I've seen plenty of Citizen Kane inspired episodes and things that, of shows like I remember was did they do the an episode of The Simpsons oh, yeah. basically with Mr. Burns as the Orson Welles character. Yeah. Yeah. So I know more, I know the basic of it, but I've never actually, since I haven't seen it, I don't
0: know like, actually how it goes. So why haven't you seen it then? I mean, it's been in pop culture forever, but why haven't you sat down and watched this? I mean,
1: I do like a lot of old movies. In fact, if you, I know you are so you probably saw on Facebook last week I was watching His Gal Friday, and the week before that I was watching The Thin Man. Ugh. So I mean, I do like old movies. It just probably either wasn't on at a point when I was going to watch something. Or maybe on against something else, like on, you know, AMC or something. But there was something else I wanted to watch more. Or just like looking, renting DVDs. It's like, ooh, I'd rather watch this movie instead of that one right now. Mm-hmm. It just never jumped up in my list of over something else. But I've always wanted to watch. Been planning on watching it. In fact, I have it on HBO Max now. And I actually, when I was going through things on there, I put that on my list <laughs> to watch because I'm like, oh,
0: I want to watch this at some point. It's just one of those like lazy things. I never got around to it. <laughs> well. I am very, very happy that I can help you cross this off of your bucket list and more importantly, help cross it off your HBO want to watch list. Because we all know that going through any kind of streaming service and marking down, yes, I want to watch this. I want to watch this. All of a sudden you've got a list that is unmanageable and you will (sighs) never, ever get through. And you just skip the ones you've said and you go and find something else. So I am going to get that one off your list for you. You ready to watch it? Yes, I (laughs) am. All right. While you are watching it, we are going to step back and go back in time and listen to the trailer for 1941's Citizen Kane. you say? Let's shake child Charles, oh, Charles, you Charles, almost hurt me. What's that to display with? Oh,
1: oh, no. are you? Mom. You're Jim! I'm sorry, Mr. Thatcher. What that kid needs is a good fashion. That's what you think, is it, Jim? Yes. That's why he's going to be brought up where you can't get at him. Just that one word. <laughs> but who is she? What was it? Uh, Here's a man that could have been president, who was as loved and hated and as talked about as any man in our time. But when he comes to die, he's got something on his mind called Rosebud. Now, what does that mean? A race horse he bet on
0: once. Yeah, that didn't come All in. All right.
1: But what was the race? <laughs> Rosebud. Thompson. Yes, Mr. Hold this picture up a week. Two weeks if you have to. I think right after his dead? I might Find out about Rosebud. Get in touch with everybody that ever knew him. Oh, who knew him well? That manager of his, uh bernstein his second wife she's still living susan alexander she's King. running a nightclub in atlantic city Yeah, that's right. see them all get in touch with everybody that ever worked for him whoever loved him whoever hated his guts i don't mean go through the city directory of course <laughs>
0: i'll get on it right away mr olsen good rosebud dead or alive it'll probably turn out to be a very simple thing and we are back okay i hope you had a chance to revisit the excellent, the classic, the wonderful black and white, Citizen Kane. But if you have not, let me give you a brief overview and synopsis of the film. Charles Foster Kane, media mogul, failed politician, twice divorced, extravagant personality, has died, alone, in his giant estate of Xanadu. His final words, rosebud, for a man as famous and publicized as Charles Kane, he still remains a mystery, an enigma, compounded further by his final utterance. A journalist is sent to discover what this phrase meant to Charles Kane. His journey takes us through a number of interviews with his close business associates, old friends, his second wife, and other people who Kane crossed paths with. We learn that his mother sent him away to be raised by a wealthy businessman, to protect him from an abusive father. We watch his rise and fall in business, politics, and love. We experience a man who wants to be loved by the world, but does not know how to love anyone. And we discover that Rosebud is truly the name, ah, spoiler alert, of his childhood sled. (laughs) So, Al Sedano. I know this is not Thanos or Warlock or, you know, anything you can find in the deep cosmic of Marvel Universe. But what was your first impression of the film? How did it meet up with the expectation that you have heard your entire life about this?
1: Well, I finally know what that means, that Rosebud is the sled. Because I've known that probably most of my life. But there's no context. To go for like a similar type of spoiler that's out there in the world that everyone just knows. Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. All you need to know is a cursory thing. Well, Luke is the good guy. Darth Vader's the bad guy. Oh, well, that's bad. His dad is the bad guy. You can get that. Rosebud is his sled? Unless you've seen the movie and have context, it's like, okay, that's nice. And my pants are over there. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It, like it makes, that makes about as much sense as, uh, as the other. So I act now I have the context for it. So I'm very happy to have that at least and understand what it means now. It's nice.
0: <laughs> what about the rest of the film? What was your impression of the rest of the film? It's a good film. You
1: can see why it's lauded. I mean, the work he put into it, the shots, the the back, you know, the scenery he may had done. I mean, that those sets, Everything you know, the type of stories telling, the characterization—I mean, it's well done. Because I mean, it's still relevant, very much so. If it came out now, there'd be people yelling and screaming that you're making that you're attacking somebody.
0: Well, they did that at the time too. But yes, you you are correct. I know, but I mean, he could have. You could be making this movie
1: in this time period about the person it was supposed to be about, and they'd still be complaining about somebody else. Yes, because yes, they would. That's, be. Very much like them.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of things here in 2021 or in the past four years that just make us say, hey, wait, this is eerily familiar. There are some things here that are warning signs. There's there's a blueprint here. <laughs> there's things that are being talked about that are being very relevant today. So you are right on that. What's that phrase? The more things change, the more things, the more they, things are the same. And, yep. And that's very true. Yes, it is. So I'm assuming that it definitely met up with your expectations then. Pretty much. I mean, it was an excellent movie. Well, I mean, it was it was a really good movie. Interesting.
1: I mean, I did like the way they did that a bit. A little bit of like a Tarantino type feel of like jumping around with like the time period, you know, going to talk to people. I kind of like the fact that, like, it seemed like the reporter – I mean, I didn't realize it at first, so it's not like I was taking notes on that. But it looked like the reporter that was talking to everybody was in shadow the majority of the time. Like, you really don't see his face until the end. So it's almost like it doesn't matter who that person is. It could have been anybody. Yep. Granted, you could tell gender, let's say. But, like, otherwise, though, anyone could almost be in the role of trying to figure out who's trying to figure out who Kane really is. It didn't matter.
0: And I'm, I may get this wrong, but I believe it's correct. There's a portion of the screen that he resides in, that the report, the nameless faceless report, well, he's not nameless. He, yeah. We do know his name, but it, his name doesn't matter. No. That the faceless reporter ex- lives in, and that is down on the bottom right of the screen. That is his yeah. property. He owns it. And from that point, that is his viewpoint into the action. That is his viewpoint of asking questions, and that's where everybody's talking down to. So, yes... He exists as us asking the questions. He exists as us finding out about this person's life who we all know, but we really don't know. You you nailed one of the things that's in there, one of the, the kind of hidden through lines. And it starts at the beginning where they have the newsreel that they're watching and they're having the discussion about who is Charles Kane. And all of those characters are in the shadows because they're the nameless voices. And if I start to talk about this scene too much, I do apologize because there is something going on right now by the time this comes out that's called the Citizen Kane Minute and it's being done by the Fire and Water Network. (laughs) That's right. I heard about that. Ryan Kelly. And I am on the third episode of that talking about that scene. I'm talking (laughs) about the five minute scene between uh, 10 minutes and 15 minutes. And that scene I love because that is the pivot of the movie. But you have a lot of characters in there that exist. All the news reporters. The Greek choir that is asking the questions that are pointing out and kind of laughing about and trying to figure out who this person is. And they're asking the questions that are going to lead us through the rest of the film. The reporter is probably the best person in this film. He's the person that we know, we find out we live in the most, but we know nothing about because they don't matter. He's
1: faceless. It doesn't matter. I mean yeah, he has a face. We see it at the end, but like there's nothing about him. There's no. He has no arc. He has no characterization. His job is to just go and ask the questions and then sit back and let the story be told. He's just mm-hmm. the tool so they can tell the next story. He's like the book from Tales from the Dark Side. He's just there to open up and go, the next story is, here we go.
0: Mm-hmm. We should mention, too, that the reporter is, is played by William Allen, and that's Jerry Thompson. And he is the reporter that goes on and does... All of these questions. He's also the narrator for the news on the March. So we don't and we don't care. It doesn't matter. The story is not about him. And I think the fact that he is bland and faceless and and just generic is great. And the fact that he is able to kind of push back on certain people and say, well, this isn't what I need. And he's able to ask tough questions and and be annoying. He's he's the good reporter for that. But that leads us into the other characters in this story, the real characters of the story. But
1: real quick, before that, I want to say one thing that's kind of interesting about him. On IMDb, when you look up Citizen Kane, he has no picture. Yeah. So they're just keep... Apparently it's going on even now. He's like, nope, doesn't matter what he looks like.
0: (laughs) Nope, does not matter at all. (laughs) We should start off with Orson Welles. The director, the auteur, the writer and the main star of the film himself. Larger than life, and he's presenting a character that's larger than life. What did you think about his performance and his portrayal?
1: Yeah, he was trying to be boisterous, which he was going for. Going for very, like you said, he was trying to go for a larger than life. I am this huge, immense thing. I more liked it when he was doing the smaller stuff. Like when he's at the end, his wife leaves him. He gets really angry and then starts smashing everything. It felt like sometimes, a few times in the movie, he was coming across as too likable. Mm-hmm. And there, were, so there were a few times where like when it's like I was, I wasn't sure. I'm like, wait, is he supposed to be? Is this supposed to be something about he's kind of a problem from the beginning, or does he get corrupted by it? Because it's like I'm kind of liking him early on. You know, we're gonna live in this newspaper. We're gonna do this, and here are things we're trying to do. And and then it, like they're saying things about him around that time too. It's like, wait, should I still be liking him or not? Because I'm not sure yet. You're not really. You're kind of. Te- at times, it felt like they were telling me I shouldn't like him when I still was kind of liking him. And then later on, by the characterization, he got me to liking him. But I think at times he was doing a little too good a job of being likable. Maybe that was intentional.
0: Well, but let's talk about that, though, because Kane is presented as being a villain in certain lights because he is the epitome of the capitalism. He has squashed all the little guys. He has gone for power and fame. And he's the boogeyman, the straw man that we all kind of hate. Yeah, he's just buying stuff to have it. He doesn't want it. He just wants to have it. Sure. But at the same time, does that necessarily mean that he is the devil or is he just a person that is trying to do something? In his case, is he is somebody who is trying to actually be loved and he doesn't know how to be loved because he's never experienced or when he did experience l- love. It didn't go very well. Yeah. Well, he he experienced love by his mother, but his mother threw him away. And from that point on, he never learned what it was. So we should feel sympathy for him. We should like him sometimes. Some of the things he does are the right moves. Some of the, I mean, tough but fair. So I think that Orson Welles might do a, you know, the fact that you're noticing that you find found yourself liking him. I think he did a good job with that because
1: he was trying to be a little less cookie cutter.
0: Right. You can you can easily make Darth Vader by putting him all in black and having him show up and do bad things. And you can have Luke dressed all in white and have him be the white hat. But are we don't we like Han Solo a bit more because we shouldn't like him? We yeah. should hate him, but we like him because he's a little good and a little bad. So that's what you have with Charles Kane, too.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I can Yeah. Like I said, it just felt it just felt like at times when they were try, when they were telling us he was bad. And, you know, like the the other characters. And I was like, I wanted them to more do that earlier on. And instead of telling me he's bad, show me he's bad at times. Yeah.
0: But that's part of it, too, is that we also are limited in scope with what we're going to hear from the reporter. We're only getting bits and pieces. We're not getting, Uh you know, the entire life story. We're getting chunks of it. Yeah, which is another fun part. You know the story at the beginning when you get the news of the You get the entire life.
1: Yeah. Or the overview.
0: Yeah. Well, you get the entire life, and then you realize it is an overview.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's just a public n- knowledge of it. It's not the
0: inside stuff. Yeah. It's not the real story. We we talked a little bit about Arson Wells as the character. We should talk a little bit, before we go on to the other characters, so let's talk a little bit about how did he do as a director with all this material.
1: Oh, director? I def- definitely good, excellent as a director. I mean, that was the shots that he did, the way he had everything set up to make it look... I mean, the thing that really I loved is especially was like towards the end when we're in Xanadu and his wife's sitting there by the fireplace, the second wife doing the jigsaw puzzle. And he goes to sit down mm-hmm. in the chair and like the, all you can see in that room because it's so dark because it's huge is the fireplace, the chair and a couch. And they're all like, what, 20 feet away from each other. Yeah. He just wants these things because it's the most expensive, not because they're the yeah. best, but because they cost more. Yeah, but not just. But it's not just about that part. I'm just talking about the fact that he set up these giant set, these giant scenes of the scope to show what this guy had and what this guy possessed. And I mean, like that ending shot, where you, well, not the ending shot, but when they pull out all of his treasures. Yeah, I mean, that had to be an influence on Return on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that had to be something George <laughs> Lucas and Steven Spielberg were talking about doing. Like, we want to do the thing, like in Citizen Kane, you know, where they have all that stuff there. Orson Welles goes big. Yeah. He is definitely doing real shots. I mean, with the exception of that one, the nightclub in uh, Atlantic City, which was obviously a miniature. But I mean, you also have to go with the time period of things of like what they could do.
0: Well, we're dealing with just less than 20 years of filmmaking at this time. And there has been a lot of advances in cinematography and how to stage, moving things from the theater into the three dimensional space or the two dimensional space of film and how that's going to work and how you should shoot a shot and compose it and transitions. And they had built that and they had started to perfect it. And then citizen Kane comes and Orson Welles comes with a script and an idea and entire way of filming. And he is given the entire studio to just have fun in. (laughs) He was sent in and he just was given anything and everything to play with. And he's like, I'm using it all. I have ideas and I have thoughts and I'm going to use it all. And he reinvented the way people made films.
1: I was about to say, I didn't get a chance to look up on certain, like on this part, but I was going to say is, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure what it was, but I have, a, am like, I'm watching this. I'm feeling like there's got to be things that for film that probably were invented because of this film that he, yeah. you know, ways of doing movies, filming movies that were never done before that he made up
0: for this movie. Yeah. Everything from, Placing actors to what is your motivation? He, most of the people in the film had never been on a film before. They are right from the stage. And he was like, we are going to do this the right way. We are going to use what we know in theater to create these characters, to personify them on the screen. And, we're going to reinvent things and we're going to have fun with it. You said the model of the cantina, even that is just fantastic. because You can see how, how he's zooming in. He built the model to break apart and it focuses in on that skylight. And you're just like, this is amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is broken. Has that, that that nice break, and then they have that nice little slight dissolve right when they go through there so they can switch over to the actual person instead of a the model of the inside. Right. No, I mean, it's still well time. done, but because of, yeah. you know, it's now 80 years later, I can tell, like, yes, that's a model, and that's obvi- a bit obvious, but I'm also not go- I'm not treating it like I would a big-budget movie now that did that. I'd be like, right. okay, guys, work at it. Come on, come on. Right. Pick up the pace. But... For something 80 years old, I'm like, that's damn impressive.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Let's go ahead and talk about a few more of the characters then. Well, we're in the cantina. So we've got Susan Alexander Kane, uh, played by Dorothy Cummingore. That's Kane's mistress and her second wife. She is the one that we see in that scene. And she is a complete mess at the beginning. She's the one who was not a singer, became a singer, and was the mistress and second wife. And what did you think of her? What did you think of her as a character and a force in the film?
1: I liked her. I mean, one thing I didn't love, which, I mean, I guess maybe it was because of the time, I don't know, but the makeup for her to make her look older mm-hmm. was terrifying. I mean, she was did not look like older. I mean, I'm sitting there going, did they have the ability to do that bad plastic surgery in the 40s? Because I don't think so. I mean, it looked like an uncanny valley type thing. Like I think she's supposed to be a human being, but she kind of doesn't look like it. So I'm kind of freaked out. <laughs> So that is an issue. I mean, if you, I'm saying it now because we're talking about her, but that was going to be one of the things I was going to say is like a bit of a low point for me. It's like I think they could have done better with the makeup. I mean, come on, Lon Chaney had been around 20 years before
0: he could have made himself look like a you know you know 45 year old woman at that point, and he would have been better. So I mean, there 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 are some age makeup pieces. Orson Welles does a great job as the older Orson Welles, but there are some scenes with him in the old age makeup where I'm still like, "Eh." yeah.
1: But at least it wasn't scary. Kicked on. Hers was yeah, it's sc- not scary. Hers yeah. scared me. <laughs> I'm like, I could have <laughs> turn on the lights. This is creepy. But besides, <laughs> but like I said, that's just the, how bad the makeup was, you know. But that's not her. It, it was an interesting look at the character of like this almost innocent in the beginning to like this just weary. I don't. I've gone from nothing to this, and I'm now at the point I don't give a damn anymore. Right. I don't care. Like she said, it was only money. Oh, you know, she lost the money. It was only money.
0: Yeah. Didn't care. She never really wanted to be a singer. It Well, at of least just, she wanted to be a singer, but she didn't want to be an opera singer. Right. She she didn't want to be a singer. She liked and she enjoyed singing, but she didn't want to be a singer. Yeah, but he made and it into was, a thing she had to do
1: because he wanted to make it legitimate.
0: And then he also wanted to make her uh, more than she was and to be the replacement for the wife that he had. And another... A marriage that was, you know, with his first wife, that it was falling apart, is becoming very cold and separated, and there wasn't really any love that was there. And so he found love, and the the triangle that existed there. What did you find? What did you think about that?
1: Well, maybe not love. Maybe he found admiration again, and uh, there you go, awe, which is what I think he, which is probably the closest he thought he had to love.
0: Yeah, and a little bit of anonymity too, because when she first met him, she didn't know him.
1: Yes. But it wasn't the enemy like, oh, you don't know who I am. So you could like me for me, not because of Mm -hmm. my station or my power or my fame. He was like, great. You don't know me. So I can recreate as I want to and make you love that. Yes. You know, I don't have to worry about dealing with whatever your preconceived notions were. I can now mold, mold your view of me into what I want it to be, which is a bit more. Machiavellian, I guess you could say,
0: which is another character element for Kane himself. Oh, which himself. is
1: pretty much most of what his life was. Yes, <laughs> it's what
0: he was designed to be.
1: Yes, but, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I speaking of the wives, by the way, I was really interested in the fact. Found it interesting that they never touched on the death of the wife or child.
0: No, they. Uh, and we should talk a little bit about the first wife, and that's Emily Monroe Norton Kane, who is played by Ruth Warwick. That's the first wife. Yeah. And she was set up as the uh, as a political.
1: Yeah, she's the niece of one of of whatever who the president was, which I wasn't sure a year it was. So I'm not sure if it was supposed to be like Woodrow Wilson or maybe a Roosevelt, like Teddy Roosevelt. I think I think
0: think it was kind of the Roosevelt. I think that they were kind of leaning towards there. I mean, it could
1: have been. Yeah, well, I guess Teddy Roosevelt. That's right.
0: Cause, yeah. You have a political uh, wife. It sounds seemed like at the beginning they loved each other, but you see that cold. You know, becoming more and more cold in the series of vignettes of them at a table as the table gets longer and, and then long. farther away from each
1: other. And they're less and less talking to the point. Wasn't there like the one part where like neither one is saying anything? They're just kind of glaring at each other. Yes. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you could kind of tell it's like he married her because it's like this is a good idea to do. This is a good plan. Yeah. The problem was of course then with the plan is like you still have to live with this person now. You forgot about yeah. that part of the plan. It's like it's one thing when they're for all with you when you're 20 when they're 22 years old and you first get married, but 10 years later and they're stuck with you for a decade and they're like
0: but you know, we're you're not you're not you definitely are not talking about your wife though, right? No. No, we haven't been married 10 years. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Don't think of her that way yet. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> uh, and this is how this show starts to become the cause of many divorces. All right. <laughs> as far as her performance, though, I, I think that she does a great job in the role of, uh, especially showing the more and more disdain oh, towards Kane. Oh, that coldness.
1: That she. I love the coldness at the very end when she gets the note and she's like, "Come with me. Yes. We're going to this. I'm going inside now." And then that old, ul- the ultimatum. That wasn't an ultimatum, but you knew it was an ultimatum. I'm leaving yeah. now. Are you coming? And he says no. Yeah. He's going to make it be the way he wants to. And he's Mm -hmm. going to redo the story, even though it doesn't work out that way. But I just found it interesting. Like, we didn't see any of his reaction to her death or specifically to his kid's death.
0: No. And I think there's a lot that you can read into that, too. Uh, It's another facet of who Ken was. The story that's being developed about kane is very much centered on him and the things that he cares about and if we don't have a reaction it's because he doesn't care care. it's something to be said with as you're looking at his last part of his life and because nobody's really asking the questions but you know where's his regrets does he have regret for the failure of two marriages the loss of a son the bricking up or the the tearing away from his family you know does he have any regret for that and we don't get much which is part of
1: we do get a bit in the middle when he's talking to the guy who raised him yeah if it wasn't for all the money i could have been a great man so you can kind of get that idea early on that he does have a regret about pretty much his entire life already it's not just when he got old but he just it's whether he had that always or just kind of, it was one of the things that kind of come up and he buries back
0: down quickly you can And t- i think that- that's more of what it is i think it the the consciousness pangs on him sometimes but then he's like no this is who i am that's who i could have been and i don't care
1: yeah exactly instead of trying to be that person he just goes oh well
0: too late now this is who i am and i'm gonna be this so we have the loss of his wife and son and it doesn't matter it doesn't hit his radar if it does it's so subliminal and maybe he does drink or cry about it later on but it's so silent and it's so removed from everybody else that no one, now we don't know. Yeah, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter as much to, the story, to that. Because anyway. we, we aren't getting a report on it. The reporter's not finding out what happened. No one who knew him knew anything about that. Right. So we have some close friends that he's got. We've got his closest friend, Jebediah Leland, played by Joseph Cotton. This is Kane's best friend. This is the guy who that the reporter goes to and and finds and starts talking to, and this is kind of his bosom buddy, especially at the beginning when he's yes. when he first takes over the newspaper. What did you think about this character and this actor?
1: I had fun with him as an old man. That was kind mm-hmm. of fun as an old man. Are you sure you don't have a cigar? Come on, come on, give me a cigar. <laughs> Listen, wrap him up. Say it's a toothpaste. Okay, just send me up the cigars. <laughs> That was kind of fun. The old, the, the old Wily guy. Wily
0: old man. Wily old man. Yeah.
1: The old guy who's at the point where the doctor's still trying to keep him alive. He's like, look, I'm I'm going to be checking out of here in like a year or two. So who cares? Give me whiskey and and, and steak and cigars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to enjoy the finer things while I still can because I'm on the way out.
1: I'm not 45 trying to live another 30, 40 years. I'm like 85 years old and the life expectancy at this time is like 80. Yeah. So who cares at this point? <laughs> Which I can't understand,
0: you know. And early on he is the fellow frat brother, the the fellow partier, the the guy who's going with him on these this wild adventure and is there and enjoying it until he starts to grow up. He starts to realize there is consequences to this and I have a conscience and there's only so much I can do.
1: Yeah, well that's why he saves that proclamation, the checkouts proclamation, yeah. which you knew was you knew was coming back at some point. And yeah. then when he sends it back to him, Cain just shreds it. And it's like, you, you know, he's got... It's like That's like the signs, like, yeah, anything that he had before, what he said, I could have been a great man, and he thought about it, maybe that's... He's completely killed that inside of him now. He's like, I don't care.
0: What do you think about the relationship that's there? I think that there's a few levels that could also be there as well, that there was a a love that he had for him, that a caring that he had for him, and it's just another... Read into it what you will, but it's another... It's another friendship, it's another lover, it's another close person who Kane easily throws away.
1: It's probably the person he cared about the most, it seemed like. The person he cared about the most mm-hmm. was his best friend. And again, it had its limits. It might have had more limits mm-hmm. that, you know, he might have had more room than anyone else, but it still had its limits. Mm-hmm. Do what I want. At the end of the day, I'm going to give you some room to do what you want to do and move around a bit. But at the end of the day, we're still doing what I want because we don't do everything I want you're out of my life. And sure enough, I'm going to make her be an opera singer. I'm going to build this opera house to put her in and everything and if you don't love it, get the hell out of my life.
0: There's a lot of different parallels I can think about with this, but I think the best way I can talk about it is you can have a friend who is incredibly intelligent, charismatic, a leader and oh, you can just... I, no. Oh. <laughs> Anytime my friend. Um, but but then you can also have a, you know, you've got a best friend who supports you and is smarter than you on some levels and can be your moral compass and can be pointing you in the right direction and is not afraid to speak truth to the power. The catch of that relationship is that the powerful man needs to be willing and able to listen to that friend and even if he doesn't agree with him, and even if they shout at each other, he has to be willing to accept the counsel that he's been given. And this is once again another point where he could have—Cain could have been a great man if he had listened and accepted some of the counsel that his friend was providing him. Yeah,
1: but he didn't want to because he only wanted the counsel that said what he wanted to hear. He wanted Bernstein's counsel. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I like Bernstein. Bern, hey, hey, Bernstein was a smart guy. Bernstein knew where his bread was buttered, and he did what he had to do to keep it going. I mean he still could tell those things about Kane, but he's like, Whatever, He's not my friend. Whatever. I just work for him.
0: <laughs> and and that's and that's a little bit of the difference, is that and we're talking about Mr. Bernstein, played by Everett Sloan, and this is another character who we see is close to him, but he's more of the yes man, and he's willing to sacrifice his conscience for the money. And he's fine with it. He can sleep well at night. He's not gonna he knows where the business end and the friendship begins, and he's willing to always sacrifice that line.
1: And he knows Cain is not his friend. So he's not worried right. about it. Unlike with Leland, who is a friend, and he considers Kane a friend. You know, Leland's like, "Look, I know we're not friends. You know, you're rich and you're happy, so therefore you're going to be nice to me. That's awesome. I'm going to love that. Yeah, yeah. Take me out to dinner and stuff. That's great. You mm-hmm. know, I'm going to have fun and enjoy it. But I don't do what you're going to do. I don't give a damn. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to fire me, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get another job. Give me my severance, yep. and I'm out of here.
0: Let's talk about some of the, the the scenes of the movie. Is there any scene that really stuck out for you as a great scene, or something that really you really sunk your teeth into, and you just felt like this is this is the part of the movie that I love?
1: Uh, like I said, the, every the stuff in Xanadu, that mm-hmm. huge house, that huge ominous feeling of this this is empty and yet fill you know house that still apparently had a dozen people staying there, and yet it still felt empty, and because it was everything was this like. Huge, and then, and then, of course, the other think scene, that they have, like I said before, when he's having, he actually does have an emotional reaction to something. Because mm-hmm. everything else before, it, he was like, eh, whatever, I don't care. I can go on to the next thing. My wife leaves me. I got a replacement here. I'll buy other friends. I'll buy other newspaper writers. Doesn't matter to me. But when that second wife finally left him, he almost had a human reaction to her. She, like, I mean, you can see she almost reconsidered for a second there. Until so he's like, you can't do this to me, and she's like, of course, it's always about you. It has nothing to do with what I, I'm wanting. You're only saying these things because you want. It's what you want. You're not caring about whether or not what you can do is what I want. And then he had that temper tantrum. It's like there's act like it all came out like the lifetime of everything just exploded from him, and I lo- that was pretty cool. I was like, oh, damn.
0: The scene at the end there, their confrontation in her room, the the staff that are hiding just outside of uh, eyesight that are hearing this that are experiencing it and the destruction of that room that occurs afterwards the absolute demolishment and rage and and it's not a young man's rage it's an old man's rage which is again kudos to the acting of, that of Orson Welles because he he withholds a bit and he he's very stiff about it but he's also the, the rage of a child
1: yeah Which is, well, because it's been held up, I mean, since the last time he probably had rage, which is probably the one we saw when he attacked the guy with his sled when he was like eight years old. Yes. Yes. So it's a little bit of both. It's a a child's rage coming out of an old man.
0: On the opposite side, and this is going to be harder probably, but was there any scene did not really grab you or that you really had really struggled with? See, I'm trying to remember something too bad. I'm having trouble remembering. (laughs) Well, I think you mentioned one thing and you thought that uh, some of the... Model work—it seems dated. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's true. Which, which I mean, which I mean is you know, it's 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 a fair cop that we can say. But is there anything else along those lines that you that just didn't work oh, for like, you?
1: Like we said, we both said some of the makeup wasn't the great. You know, had some issues. And while the model work, we can give more excuses to the, the makeup. I mean, like I said before, Lon Cheney had been doing amazing stuff twenty years before this, so there was no excuse to not have decent makeup for what they were trying to do, which is just look older. Not they were trying to make them a wolf man or a phantom of the mm-hmm. opera. They were just trying to make people look a little older than they were. So there was that. I wasn't sure actually in the beginning, that the like like is the mom just getting rid of him because the father like I couldn't tell hundred percent like wait is the father abusive or is it just that because I wasn't sure really until like they said something at the end he says something I'm like oh maybe he is abusive or because I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if it was the mother trying to save the kid or the mother was just like get rid of this child so I can have a life
0: the the way that it was is that the mother was getting rid of the child because the father was abusive she did love she did love Charles it just was that she could not protect him and. You also felt too that there was a little bit of coldness in her as well.
1: Oh, yeah, I definitely. But I wasn't sure if the coldness was because she had to let him go or because she was cold.
0: I I think there was, she was a little cold. And also, it was, there probably was abuse there as well. And it was her own shield and defense against the husband.
1: Because I was just thinking about that before. It's like, I kind of wanted to know, though, for like knowing about Cain, was he coming from people who were cold? And the mom was just like, great, get rid of this. Like, so and I don't have to deal with the child anymore. Or was he coming from, or was this the unintended consequences of mom trying to save him?
0: I think it was that one. But I think there was also a little bit of the coldness. And I think there was a little bit of the anger and fury that, that his father had too. He did grow up with a bit of it. There was some of that in his genes. He was taught how to conceal it, never to control it. Hmm.
1: Okay, I can go with that one other problem I had and it has nothing to do with the movie it is not their fault at all but every time Kane's walking around talking and being his mag- you know giant Orson Welles self I kept waiting for him to say and then tomorrow we take over the world because <laughs> damn it that voice for the brain Maurice Lamar, is too good doing
0: Orson Welles
1: that every time he talked I kept waiting for Pinky to show up
0: <laughs> yeah um Peaky in the Brain from Animaniacs. I, I, I want to go off on a tangent there, but I don't know how. Um, I, I would say that there is an unspoken line that Kane does want to rule the world. And I think that the writers for Animaniacs came up with that idea and said, you know, it's not really that far off the mark to just have that line being there and that it's it is the Orson Welles line. So,
1: oh, yeah, even more so from just what I knew of Orson Welles before, even after watching the movie, Pinky and the Brain makes even more sense. (laughs) But it's just like because the voice is so good of the brain that it just kept like I'm like, I had to keep reminding myself it's not him. This is not him. Different person. It's a different person doing that voice. It's not Orson Welles, still alive, doing the voice of Brain.
0: We started off with Citizen Kane. We ended up with two lab rats in a uh, Acme Labs that looks like a truck. trying to take over the world. I'm going to bring us back to uh, the mother and father in that little house that they have in the snow. Because the scene where they get introduced and that and we're. Kane is getting adopted. That is an amazing one-shot tracking shot that goes through the house. And it's another place where they built a set that pulls apart. Because so, yeah. if you watch that scene, it's this uncut scene that starts outside, goes inside, works around the inside, then kind of falls back outside. And it is an amazing, amazing uncut shot that it's just beautiful to look at. And once you go back and kind of review it, it's it's just an amazing shot.
1: And finally, an actor that, I mean, I've, I decently well know. It's not like I'm a connoisseur, but I do know enough older movies. I've watched enough older movies. I do know most of the time I'll at least recognize one person, but obviously, but I mean, this movie, except for Orson Welles, I didn't really know anyone else except Mm -hmm. for, I found out later. I know the mom, Agnes Moorhead, AKA Adora, Samantha's mom from Bewitched.
0: Yes. (laughs) Most of these actors have bit parts. They have, they've done a lot of different things. They've, they've appeared in different places. This was the biggest crowning achievement that they had. You're right. Agnes Moorhead, she had a very long and interesting career and she is known very well from her role on Bewitched.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I know who that is. I got all excited when I saw that at the end.
0: (laughs) When I looked it up, I'm like, oh, I know who you are. That's awesome. It's Adora. As we start wrapping things up here, is there any other scenes or anything else you want to talk about? I mean, we are being very small with what we're doing here on this podcast we are not citizen kane minute breaking things apart into the into the minute chunks and just expounding on them we're just giving a a very large overview for a first-time viewer but is there anything else you want to talk about uh one thing i liked i
1: liked the butler at the end talk about mercenary yeah that was like the perfect person working for kane at that point i don't care give me you know oh yeah i know rosebud is give me a thousand bucks and i'll tell you yeah yeah he mentioned it once (laughs) i like that guy you're, you're a bit mercenary, aren't you?
0: Yes and no. Yeah. You got a guy who, you know, if there was a non-disclosure agreement, it, it's dead and buried now and he's in it for the big buck and he's fine with yeah. it. He's put up with this for a long time and he's ready to talk to the he does tabloids not give a damn
1: <laughs> no but he was entertaining i like that, that
0: yeah he was know?
1: and it was kind of funny like everyone else was like had different feelings about him it was complex some loved him and still loved him a bit because she was crying you know, she was still very upset he died and he's like yeah another old all guy
0: dead who cares yeah paul stewart playing raymond and he was just weasley enough Yet at the same yeah. time he could wear up tux. So I mean he's yeah. the perfect guy for that role. He they probably got they probably have gotten from Jersey. Yeah, he's <laughs> It almost went by you. It almost went by. You. <laughs> hey hey, even better, even better. They got him from Jersey, and he's working in Florida. Hey yo. <laughs> <laughs> hey Gene Hendricks,
1: we gotta go visit Portland. <laughs> but no he was a good he was a nice bit of comedic relief you know because this is a serious movie yes i mean there's not action there's not a lot of uh come you know, there's some the, light the, moments, but there's not a lot of comedy in this. Yeah. It needed that it needed that comedic, you know, comedy relief and he did a good job at that.
0: There, there are so. moments in the film that do release the pressure for you. This is not an ongoing potboiler where it's it's continuously building and building building. It's yeah. telling a story and it's got the light, it's got the dark. It does a good job of relegating the two. At the same time, this is not, this ain't comedy. This isn't you know, Adam no. Sadler film or something like that. So it's just, there's the a good enough release every now and again with some jibes, a little little bit of slapstick, just a little bit of fun. And he was one of those good parts in it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said before, like with the friend Leland, you know, when he's an old, the old guy, you know, that was a nice little comedy, really, you know, comedy moment too, to kind of, like you said, release some of that pressure because yeah. we're talking about some serious stuff. So now we need to let it go a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit.
0: Well, Al, I've enjoyed talking to you about this, but we got to let the fine folks go. But before we do that, we got a couple of things we gotta take care of. The first one being, how many full bags of popcorn are you gonna give this film? Now it's one to five. One being horrible, five being citizen can I mean five being the best thing you've ever seen. <laughs> so <laughs> no halvesies here, but what are you giving this film? This classic movie from 1941.
1: Okay, so no halves. No halves. Well remember, .72853 is not a half. <laughs>
0: You know, this is Longbox Crusade. You may try to come to Portland, Oregon, but, you know, we will send the Longbox Crusade regulars down to Florida to break your <laughs> kneecaps if you try to break their <laughs> system of rankings. You are no Joe November, sir.
1: <laughs> well, since I can't do halves, I'm going to have to round because it is a damn good movie. But there are a few, is a few issues, and also the fact that it, it's an older one. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to deal with the fact that old ones. It does have a little bit of. Sometimes there's a bit of lagging. Yeah, and I'm not talking like I need something like cut edit every five seconds, or else you're gonna lose my interest. But sometimes it does. They do dwell on things sure. a bit longer. Sure. So I would normally probably give it something like a four and a half, but I'm gonna round then because I don't. Uh, I don't like going claiming everything's mm-hmm. perfect. So, I'm going to go for straight up four. Okay. All right. Which means still a damn good movie. Yeah. And worth watching just in either if you're interested in history of film, because it is historical, the fact of stuff created, mm-hmm. or for, you know, how it was done, or just for the fact of like watching this going, wow, this crap has been going on for 80 years. <laughs> yeah. So, either really get serious about doing something about it or just accept it. Yeah. Because. It's been going on for 80 years, so you know. One, of the, pick one. I have to go with the five. Is, is this
0: is this the best movie of all time? There's a lot of debate on that. I think that this film did a lot for cinema, and it brought a lot to cinema. It brought a lot to acting, to filmmaking, to crafting a film, and that is something that we can never ever give away. This film has a lot of things that make it be a classic and a well-made film. And you're right; there are things that drag on it. There is the farther we get away from the source material on it the farther it is this is not a film for everybody it's a film that if you are a film lover you should watch at least once in your life if not multiple times just to remind yourself how to craft a good film and you have to enjoy you have to enjoy films like this to enjoy other films that we love like avengers and crow and highlander and you know yeah. but in order to and- enjoy those films we have to know what a good film is
1: No. And I will. And this is something just to clarify, this is something I will be watching again. I will watch this a few more times. But also for me, like this isn't something I don't think I'm going to watch like every year. It's got to be every couple years. If this was something I thought I could watch every year. I might have pushed it up to a five. Mm-hmm. But while it's damn good, it's not rewatchable, rewatchable. We're like, I'm going to... There are other older movies. I can watch Frankenstein over and over again. Mm-hmm. Give me, you know, g- you know, the 31, Boris Karloff. If we're talking about, you know, I'm talking about movies from the same time period. Give me The Thin Man. Um, I watch that every year at least, once a year. So I can rewatch that over and over again. But this one, maybe like every like two or three years, I'm probably going to go, ooh, we watch Citizen Kane again. So it's, it has rewatchability, but not that much rewatchability for me so that
0: does kind of push it down a tiny bit it it is it is a it is a meal when you watch this film though a lot of the films that you were mentioning there's a lighter fare to it and they're excellent films but they're easily more easily digestible
1: i have to be in the headspace for this movie
0: yes and that is ready for citizen kane and that is very true thank you very much the other thing that you have to do before you go though is you have to tell the people where they can find you if they want to hear you talk about other things besides citizen kane
1: well, if they're that crazy sure <laughs> i do another show it's called resurrections and adam warlock and thanos podcast it's well all about the marvel characters adam warlock and thanos i mean it's right there in the name people so if you're interested in that or marvel comics cosmic uh you just type in adam warlock or thanos and whatever you use for uh, for finding podcasts it will pop up and you can find us on twitter at, at adam thanos pod uh you can also find me every week on a show i'm on someone else's show called the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D Podcast. cast It is a show about the DC Comics sci-fi series, L-E-G-I-O-N, which is Legion, but it's all an acronym. So it's a DC sci-fi series from the late 80s featuring Vildox and Lobo. So if you've heard of Lobo, go there and check that out. And that's on the Legion of Substitute
0: Podcasters feed. Well, I would listen to it, but I never learned how to spell Legion. So um, you can find me... (laughs) have to do a joke 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 jokes you can find me on twitter at m or on my other podcast unpacking the power of power pack which sometimes al sedano shows up on or you know at least every halloween we talk about things but i host that with my friend jeff who is a man that i will one day make into a respectable opera singer whether it kills me or not if you would like to be on the show please feel free to contact me you can reach me at jeff and rick present all one word at gmail.com. Big thank you to Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this beautiful attic of their headquarters. I promise you it is not a miniature, even though it looks like one on camera. And I would also like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support the network, head on over to Patreon and search for the Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have for you this week. Grab some popcorn, pull up a seat, we'll be back soon with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at Josephlin99. That's joseflin 99.